Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. Now, let's go back to the book of Job, because we like to use as much scripture to clarify these things as we possibly can. And go back to the book of Job, and I'm sure you're all acquainted with the scenario. Job, of course, is, again, one of the few righteous, believing men of his day. You know, it's amazing, God has never had many, has he? He's always had the few, always the remnant. But here in the book of Job, if you'll come to verse 6, Job 1, verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and who in the world comes in amongst them? Satan. Satan. See? Satan. Right into the very portals of heaven comes Satan. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence or where did you come from? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. In other words, in plain English, he says, From my domain. I'm coming for, from where I'm ruling and reigning. And that's, of course, the earth, as we understood ever since Genesis. All right, now then, if you'll come back to Revelation 12 again. <clears throat> he has now had his final access into the throne room, or into heaven, as we understand it. And as a result of the war in which Michael and the holy angels have fought and defeated Satan, and he's cast out. Now you come to verse 10 of Romans, uh, Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the... What? Kingdom. Oh, you see, that's been in view ever since the beginning of the human experience. This glorious kingdom that God is going to rule and reign upon the earth. And now here it's beginning to get close. And so the angelic host can say, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accuse them before our God day and night. Who is accusing? Satan. And who is he accusing? You and I. Every time we sin, and we all do, who is the first to run and tell God about it? Satan. You ever realize that? He is constantly letting the Lord know where we have failed. 
And, and this is a sobering thought that not only is the world watching every move we make, but Satan is watching. And the minute we fail, he's right up there. But we have, of course, turned back for me a few pages from Revelation to the left and come to 1 John. Just a few pages, the little letter of 1 John. But we have this comforting fact that even though Satan is constantly accusing us before the Lord day and night, every time he sees us fail, he immediately reports in. And he says, uh-huh, you see what that person did? I thought he was one of yours. Now, 1 John chapter 1. Now, let's come down to chapter 2, verse 1. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. You know, I, I've always told my class, I love that address, don't you? You know, what that, you know what that makes me feel like? I'm just like that little kid again that a mom just can't watch close enough. You know, what does that take? About a two-year-old or a three-year-old, you know, they, they say the, the terrible twos. I mean, you can't watch those kids close enough. And yet that mother, if she's a mother, has such a love for that little child that she's not going to let anything happen to it. Well, now, when John addresses me with that, that's just exactly how I feel with regard to God. He is watching us so closely, and he knows that without his watchful eye, we're, we're going to stumble, we're going to goof it up, but he says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. See? Oh, that's, that's God's still first choice, is that we don't sin. But what does God know? That we will. We're human, see? And so he says, I write these things unto you, that you sin not. And, or but, if any sin, we have an advocate. You know what that word really means? Hey, that's your, that's your attorney. That's your mouthpiece, I guess the world today would say. And just as soon as Satan comes into the throne room and accuses you and I of whatever sin, immediately the Lord comes to our defense, see? And in so many words, what does he say? Hey, he's under the blood. He's forgiven. He's mine, see? You can't touch him. All right, so if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. All right, let's turn back a little further to the left and go to the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Because these are a lot of basic doctrines that I'm afraid a lot of believers are, are never being taught. Rufus were talking again the other evening that, uh, you know, so little teaching is coming across to where people can, can sink their teeth into it. But we have to know what God's Word says and believe it and trust in it. All right, Hebrews chapter 1, come down to verse... Well, we might as well read right from verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds, or he's the Creator. And now look at verse 3. Who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. You know what that means? This whole universe is held together by His Word. 
everything in our life and within the fabric of our existence is held together by His Word. But all right, read on. When He had by Himself purged or cleansed our sins, what did He do? He sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high as our advocate. See? And so even though we've had the old accuser, now come back to Revelation chapter 12. So even though the old accuser of the brethren has been constantly accusing us, yet the Lord Jesus constantly comes to our defense. All right, now pick up then uh, verse 11 of Revelation 12. <clears throat> and they, that is, those who have been accused, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Now, you see, nowhere in Scripture is the blood overlooked. Now, we know we have a lot of preaching today and a lot of teaching that leaves the blood out. But if you're going to be scriptural, you can't because it is intrinsic to our faith that we believe in the shed blood of the cross of Calvary, see? And so we overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, they had not loved their lives unto the death. And I think that refers to the martyrs of, of all ages, not just the tribulation. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, now watch it, having great wrath, because he knoweth he has but a short time. Now think of it. Let me put my seven years back on the board again, if I may, our, our timeline. And here we split it. Now here we have Satan coming down, the Antichrist coming in from his headquarters in Europe. Satan cast out of heaven. And they're going to meet here at the temple in Jerusalem. And... Uh, Satan will indwell the man Antichrist even as he did Judas. And this will all happen here at the midpoint. And now, as we saw in our last lesson, he's going to turn his wrath particularly upon the 144,000 Jews, but on all the people of the world are suddenly going to feel the wrath of Satan. But not only of Satan, we're also going to have the wrath of God. Now, what does that tell you? No wonder Jesus said it's going to be worse than any time in human history. Now, a lot of people say, now, wait a minute. God's a God of love. Oh, He has been. He still is today. But you see, once this day comes, His grace ends and He becomes a God of judgment, a God of wrath. Go back with me to Psalms chapter 2, a verse we've looked at over the months but uh, Psalms chapter 2, because we have to overcome this, this theology that God is just a God of love. You see, that's another reason a lot of people seem to think that he couldn't possibly dream up something like an eternal hell or the lake of fire, because after all, he's a God of love. How could he? Well, now, wait a minute. We always have to qualify. He was a God of love when He sent Christ to the cross, that's for sure. And He has loved the human race ever since. 
He has poured out His grace upon humanity. But what has humanity done with it? They've walked it underfoot. And so now He finally gets to the place where His love and His grace are withdrawn and it's His wrath. Psalms chapter 2. And uh, again, we have to come down to verse 5, I guess it is. Then, you all with me? Psalm 2, verse 5. Then, now this, of course, is taking us into the tribulation. Then shall He speak unto them, that is, the people of the world, in His, what? Wrath. See, not His love. But He's going to speak unto them in His wrath and vex them. Now, you know what the word vex means. He's literally going to just torment them. And He's going to do it righteously with all fairness and justness because, you see, He has so patiently poured out His love toward the human race and they continue to react in unbelief. Now, it takes us back to our last program and that's the worst sin possible is unbelief. That's the worst one you can think of because it's the opposite of faith. And when you have faith, you're pleasing to God. That is faith in His Word. When you have faith in His Word, you're obedient to it. And when we're obedient to the Word, of course, we become exactly what God wants us to be. But it's the opposite that is so uh, frustrating, I think, to God when the human race cannot believe Him and trust His Word. Unbelief. Come back to Revelation 12 then, because I didn't want to end that verse on too light a note. The last part of verse 12 again. So now he is literally kicked out of heaven. He comes down to the earth. He comes to Jerusalem to join the Antichrist. And he has great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. And how long does he have? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And he knows he's going to pour all the stops. Everything that he can think of that he's never used before, he's going to pour out on the human race. Well, now I know the, the average person is going to say, well, now why should Satan do that? They're in his pocket. Well, I've given the illustration before and I'll, I'll repeat it. If the mafia or some underworld organization cannot get a, a businessman to knuckle under their demands because, after all, he, he's just too strong in himself. If they can't get him to knuckle under, who will they threaten? His well, his family, his wife and kids, because he knows that if that father sees them suffer, then, of course, he's going to react. Now, you see, Satan does the same thing to God. Satan feels that when he torments and when he brings all of these things upon the human race, who does he really get at? The heart of God, see? Now, of course, God's wrath is going to be coupled with it, and that will make that final three and a half years what it is. Now then, if you don't think that that last three and a half years is going to be awesome, come back with me now to Revelation chapter 8. Now, remember, we've come through six seals in our study. The sixth seal was the great earthquake, which triggered the midpoint. And now when you come to chapter 8, we come to the seventh seal. Now, the seventh seal, which will, of course, open up now the scroll and the paying off of that mortgage that's within, the seventh seal in itself is not an event, but it triggers the seven trumpets. And so out of the seventh seal, 
comes the first of the trumpet judgments, and there'll be seven of those. Now, remember, uh, when we first started our, our study on Revelation, I put it on the board that the events of the tribulation are like a mother-to-be approaching the day of delivery. And first comes a, a light birth pang, just enough to know that your time is at hand. And maybe an hour or two later comes a little harsher one. And it just creeps, keeps increasing in intensity as well as in the closeness. And so this will come through the, the tribulation. It'll start out relatively mild, but as it moves to the end, it's going to crescendo, see, until finally the last day has come and Christ returns. All right, so now you come to chapter 8. We're at the midpoint again, and he opens the seventh seal. There was what? Silence. Silence. There's not an angelic voice. There's not an instrument. There's not a note of music. There's not a shout. There's not a trumpet. Absolute silence in all of heaven. Now, that's sobering. Why? Because of the awesome things that are about to come on the earth. And so there was silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. I, I don't think we can get the drama of it. That they are, even the angelic hosts, are so aware of the awful things that are about to come on the earth. Now then, come down into verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now remember, these trumpets are just simply going to announce the next event. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Now, what was the purpose of the incense in the tabernacle? Well, what's the purpose of incense any time? Well, to give a, a sweet aroma, isn't it? It's to give that, that, uh, that aura, I think, of, of worship and, and holiness and righteousness. Now, for God, the sweetest incense that could ever come up to His nostrils are what? The prayers of the saints. Now, that's how much emphasis God puts on prayer. He wants us to pray. We're commanded to pray, see? And here they all come at, uh, at this midpoint in the tribulation, but here we are in the throne room of heaven. And uh, then verse 5, And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. Now, this is the beginning then of these trumpet judgments. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings, and still another earthquake. Now, when you read that, thunderings and lightnings and voices again flash all the way back to Exodus. When God came down on Mount Sinai, what did you have? Thunderings, lightnings, the voice of God, see? And so, it's just a, a constant replay, only on a totally grander scale. And uh, verse 6, so the seven angels who have these seven trumpets that are going to introduce all of these events prepared themselves to sound. Now verse 7. 
the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And as a result of this calamity, the third part of trees are burned up, and all the green grass. Now, we're not going to take time. I'm afraid we're going to run out as it is. But you see, if you went back to Exodus, what was one of the plagues? This very same thing. Very same thing. Fire running along the ground and hail. And uh, I imagine it was a, a traumatic thing. Now, I always have to think of it this way. Even though the events in themselves will probably bring a lot of death and destruction, but I think there's going to be a lot of psychological warfare, if you want to call it that. These things are just going to lambast the very makeup of the mental part of people. It's going to be beyond our comprehension to see these things happening one right after the other. All right, now come on to the next one. Verse 8, the second angel sounded. Now, this isn't going to be a matter of hours, but it'll probably be a matter of probably days or weeks. And we're just going to keep getting closer and closer in these events as we move up to the end. But the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast in the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. Now, again, if we had the time, we could go back into the Old Testament, and prophecy tells us that there's going to be great disturbances in the cosmos. In other words, I think there's going to be great meteorites coming down and hitting the earth. I was reading a scientific article a while back where some scientists are trying to project some means that if they see a huge meteor coming from out of space and it's going to collide with the earth, they are actually dreaming up some kind of a, of a weapon that they can send out and explode a nuclear device on the face of that meteor and maybe deflect it. Because uh, I think the article I read, they had just recently detected a meteor that was only something like a million miles from Earth. Well, now that sounds like a long ways to us. But you see, in the, in the realms of space, a million miles isn't all that far. And it's close enough that they're getting a little bit concerned. So we know that these things are possible where, where great objects from outer space will, will come and, and strike the Earth. This particular one will, will land in the ocean, evidently. And the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of all creatures living in the sea and had life died, and the third part of shipping. See, it's going to be in an area where there's evidently shipping lanes, and a lot of ships will be destroyed in this one event. Then verse 10, a third angel sounded. And there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. In other words, it's going to attack the fresh water. Again, go back to Egypt. You remember when old Moses caused the river Nile to turn to blood, which was normally the source of their drinking and cooking water. So what did the Egyptians quickly begin to do? Well, they drug, dug wells for fresh water. So then in the next plague in Egypt, what did God affect? Well, even the well water, see, the fresh water, and the same thing here. And so he's going to just constantly be one step ahead of him. But now verse 11 is an interesting one. And the name of this star that's going to cause all the fresh water to be destroyed is Wormwood. 
And the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, this is just an interesting sidelight, and I don't know if it has any impact on this verse at all. But what does the word Chernobyl, where they had the nuclear disaster in Russia, what did Chernobyl mean? Wormwood. Wormwood. So now that might be just a little indication of, of things that may be used of God to bring these things apart. Well, we got time for one more trumpet at least, and that'll be the fourth one now in verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, so the third part of the stars, and the third part of them, and so on and so forth. And the day shone not for a third part, and the light likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three, which are yet to sound. Now, it's already horrible. There's already been a tremendous loss of life and uh, living things, not only the human race, but also we've already seen living things in the sea, animal life. It's all coming under the wrath of God. And yet the angel says it's nothing compared to what is left. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us totally free if you'd like at 1-800-369-7856. That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.